0: Welcome to the Retail Exchange Podcast, in association
1: with Retail Focus Magazine. Brought to you by visual thinking, inspiring retail performance. Hello, I'm
2: Ben Bland. Welcome to the Retail Exchange Podcast. Self-scan checkouts, digital screens, interactive play tables, loyalty card data capture. It's hard to imagine in-store retail without technology. In this edition, hitting refresh in store, we'll discuss the very latest technology innovations that promise to revolutionise the retail experience for shoppers. Of course, part of that is knowing exactly what they want from technology and making sure the developments stay focused around the shopper, not just adopting tech because it's available. We'll look at the best examples of technology being used to enhance the shopping experience and crucially pushing up sales figures as well as the challenges that lie ahead. With me to discuss all of that are Melanie Pittam, the Innovation Director at BioAgency, Pete Trainer, co-founder of Us AI, and Tim Manning, Experience Director at Swarm. Welcome to all of you. Which part of the in-store retail experience do you think technology is most important in?
1: Tim. Um. I think the, we we have to focus on the customer first. Um, there is a there is a real um, a need or a requirement to to understand the customer, and I think. Um, personalization around that customer is the is the next big trend that's going to make a difference for retail um, knowing the customer we where they've come from uh, and looking back in their history to know where they've come from online where they've come from physical and I think the, the merging of those physical and digital areas around personalization is the uh, is my next innovation Mel?
3: Yeah, I agree. I think it's not really about technology driving innovation. It's about customer needs and expectations changing. That means we need to innovate to meet them. Um, And also, not only must technology be accessible and fit for purpose, but it also needs to demonstrate a positive impact on the business through an experience that makes customers happy.
2: You mentioned changing customer expectations, Mel. What, what exactly do you mean by that?
3: Well, I think the customers are um, their expectations have been um, driven by the changes in technology. The things that they use every day on their phones, on their on their um, on their home devices are changing things for them. They're making every aspect of life more streamlined, more tailored, more personal to them, and they're going to expect that from a retail experience.
0: Pete, I think just to echo uh, Mel and Tim's points, actually, even uh, at us, we View technology very much as an enabler, like not the solution. And so I think what we're we're seeing over the over the last couple of years is is people generating vast quantities of data from many, many channels. And I think the big innovation is going to be how retailers start to process and deal with that data that's generated in an omni-channel environment.
2: It's an interesting point there, because a lot of retailers have technology in place that perhaps they aren't making the most of, do you think? And it's not a case of introducing new technology, but just knowing how to use what they already have, for example, the data that they're gathering on the way people are moving around a store.
0: Yeah, exactly. I mean, some very big brands, Tesco's and so on and so forth, Nectar for Sainsbury's and so on and so forth, you know, collected those loyalty points of data for years and years and years. And it's only recently that they've been able to start looking at that information, the psychometric information in there to process some stuff.
1: Yeah. And I think just, just to probably add to that, Pete, I think the, um, the, the, the sifting of the data, the signals from the noise, is an important first statement for the retailer. So the, there's a mass of data. So pick signals from noise that are going to affect business. That's probably the first part. And we know technology could play a part in helping to pick the signals from the noise. And I think the second step is then to, and this probably sits on the retail side of the fence rather than on the data side of the fence, how they are best to use those signals from noise. And I think this is where automation will start to play a part both in-store and online, so according to decisions and according to actions and according to things that are happening repetitively in store, then automation will automatically, for example, change the digital signage network that's right in front of a user because something is happening and the data is telling the the, the store signage to change. So, I think that's an important part. It's it's about both data and it's about automation.
2: And with those thoughts in mind, I just wonder if each of you could, could give us an example of a retailer introducing technology or trying something different that has either really worked well or, or actually missed the mark completely, Tim.
1: Okay, so so I think the technology that really works poorly or, or affects the business poorly is the unused technology. And we'll just touch on data again. So I'll give you an example of footfall counters. So I work with a retailer at the moment. I um, ask the retailer um, uh, what sort of data are you getting. And they say, "I've got this data. I've got masses of Excel." I'm you, uh, you know. I said, "So how did it affect the business?" Um, oh, uh, well, I know we were really busy last Thursday. You know. So actually, where is the cause and effect for retail? So how can technology play a part to get some real cause and effect for the retailer from a commercial perspective, but also for the consumer right there in store at that moment? And that's where you can enhance the experience for the for the customer and the shopper
2: and an example that you've been really impressed by
1: if i think about a, a retailer who's starting to make that data work for them is starbucks So Starbucks, who are starting to own their complete store ecosystem, both online and in-store. So now, you know, I can shop away from the store, but my coffee can be labelled and neatly there in three minutes whenever I'm ready. Um, I can collect my points. I never have to carry a loyalty card. How many coffee loyalty cards have you disposed of over the years? And you've got one tick on that loyalty card. Mm. Starbucks don't have that. They tell me when I've got my coffee. They tell me to come back to their store. So the call to action is an email to me to come and respond.
2: Mel, uh, good good and bad examples that you've seen or experienced?
3: Um, I think there are many retailers. The appetite is certainly there, but I think more often than not, they're driven by a PR agenda or almost a fear of missing out. So they end up with the executions focus on impressive one-off campaign pieces rather than uh, deep-rooted initiatives that really support the customer through their journey and make a quantifiable impact to the business in that sense. I think made.com's Physical store is a really great example of of using different types of technology that complement each other and also have a a valuable use case for the the customer, Um, augmented reality being just one of them. Customers can go into store and use tablets to shop the NFC chipped products in the store that give access to information and enable scrapbooking of products around the store that they can take home and actually see what those products look like in their own homes. I just think it's a really welcoming use of digital that actively engages customers in a way that helps them with their decision-making process.
1: Tim? Uh, Mal, I don't you probably don't know, but I worked on the Maid showroom in Paris. Um, and one of the bits of tech that we put in was to actually help customers visualize um, what their sofa would look like at home. So what happened was you picked up a 3D printed version of X sofa and as soon as you pick that up again, NFC technology enabling it, but being hidden and seamless and not affecting the journey, immediately you picked up that sofa, you were surrounded by a tunnel of images showing that sofa in so many different Parisian flats, in mansions and things like that. So it actually really added, to again, to that moment, to that particular moment for that particular customer at that time. Um, and, of course, they got the NFC and the tablet search and scrapbook and things as well. So, I
3: think augmented reality is specifically a a natural fit with customers, because the benefit's really simple for them. It helps the user to understand the aspects they're having issues visualizing for themselves. You know, what does it look like on me? What does it look like in my home? How do I use it? What does it do? Um, All of those aspects are really kind of solved with that kind of technology in those use cases, but it's got to be fit for context.
0: Pete? Yeah, I mean, we take a a slightly kind of wider view um, of this conversation. So if I think of the last 10 years and the next 10 years, I think, What I've seen over the last 10 years are a lot of businesses that have kind of, you know, digitised their experiences. And I think what we're actually seeing now is that we're not digitising behaviour, we're behaving in a digital world. And so it's actually really difficult to say, can I think of a bad experience? I think all of it is quite bad at the moment. Um, And um, and what's the um, common
2: thread that you see that makes it so bad?
0: Well, because it was built by a department in a silo and not as a kind of omni-channel joined up strategy for a retailer. So, you know, your Marks and Spencers of the world or your Tesco's or your Sainsbury's or your H&M's, whoever it was, they had uh, an e-commerce team, you know, that did the technology part. It didn't join up to the retail space. It didn't join up to, you know, the data that was being collected. And it's kind of becoming, uh, we're getting to that kind of beachhead now where that is happening. And so I think the next 10 years are actually going to see sort of apologetically quite a lot of change in that space. Tim,
1: I think Pete, the it, it, I think it's interesting that you you pick up on the the, the bad tech that's actually creating silos because silo technology is my absolute yeah. bugbear and many you know one hit wonders are just you know let's try the AK forty seven this week let's try the blunderbuss next week you know it's VR this week it's AR it's AR the week after and I think there's a piece missing which is actually the fundamental piece which is actually the cart that it's all sat on the single platform that pulls these things together and unifies them and i think the issue from a retail point of view is actually internal in the management structure that the silos operate as silos you know a, a store design will happen um the the uh, project managers will be at store design the pro- head of property will be at store design but no one from sales and marketing is in store design until sales and marketing receive their most expensive assets Mm. Where, when the ribbon's cut. And they go, now are you going to sell, sell a market from this store? And if we can have a platform that unifies the data, the technologies together to allow the store to be really steered in an agile, you know, dashboard way, then I think we'd move into that space where Pete's hoping we'll move to. Yeah, I mean, there are a
0: few great examples uh, happening in America at the moment. I don't know if you if you know Lowe's. You know, yes. Lowe's, yeah. they're like 116,000 foot wide you know, mega shopping things, whatever they are. They're like Warehouses. the B&Q. They're yeah. just massive. And Lowe's realised that actually people enjoy going there. It's good for their Fitbit scores. They kind of, you know, wander around, they do their thing. <laughs> but technology in in their world is helping people find the right thing. And so that's, you know, the low bot that people have on their phones that when they go into Lowe's, it directs them like sat-nav to the aisle where they can buy what they're actually looking for, and they don't get lost. That's a retailer for me that's really looked at it as an opportunity to move forward in the new world without completely
1: shutting down the old world. They've embraced it. Could I just add to that one, Pete? Have you come across L7 in China yet? I've not come across L7 in China. L7 in China, um, you, you, you give your shopping list over. I'm not sure how that's communicated, but it's communicated to the trolley. And the trolley then walks around the store in the most uh, appropriate way to pick up all of those items, and you follow your trolley. And every time an item's placed in your trolley, it's ticked off your shopping list. So that's that's taking that next innovation from Lowe's to another point where real robots, you know, are playing a part in that.
3: Do people even need to be there then?
1: Well, good question, Mel. (laughs) Yeah.
2: And actually that touches on another important point, which is, where the line is between the role of technology and the role that humans have to play in Mm -hmm. the in-store retail experience. Do you think there's a danger that perhaps we forget the importance of humans in the whole process?
3: I think sometimes we might. Um, I think these types of technology are great ways for business to dip their toe and, and kind of gauge public reaction. But, um, It's only a matter of time, you know, when we're thinking about virtual stores and things like that, there's no need to actually be in the store. Um, It's only a matter of time before, um, as headsets become more mainstream, more affordable, that that we can access products and services and physical stores from the comfort of our own home, which is going to be, you know, much more engaging and immersive than actually going there and having this somewhat tatty experience sometimes
2: one of the really interesting things about the example that that you gave Tim about that store in China was l l7 yeah. um is a retailer once they've got that information they could perhaps subtly introduce a little detour past some products that they think you might like
1: i think uh, yeah it's interesting how much is um navigable by and controllable by the um by the store i think the uh, the, the question about whether somebody should be or could be involved in that, I think is also interesting. But I do think the human sales associate plays a huge part in in the selling process. And I'll give you an example of a pop-up that we did for Paramount. The sales associates were actually scripted to, to tell a little story every time. And then technology enabled you to scan and to take the products away. Now, we sold £174,000 worth of DVDs and Blu-rays in two days using this little technique. So by having the sales associate enter into the fray at the right moment stage left and deliver the appropriate line combined with technology becomes this all-powerful and consuming thing. And I think the point is technology should be able to uh, engender a feeling of empowerment for the sales associate and help the sales associate in that moment. And too often it's almost the sales associate understanding how's this technology work, you know. Pete? No technology is ever going to replace a
0: sales assistant who has an eye for you know matching a piece of clothing to your figure or what you you know what you 're currently wearing at the time and, and all that good stuff. Technology will only ever take away some of those linear, quite boring things that actually people would probably prefer not to do you know the checkout i 'm pretty sure there aren't people that work in retail spaces that think. I'm going to love standing there for four hours today, you know, beeping things through a checkout process. Great. Automate it. I think what what technology has the opportunity to do is give those uh, human beings on the retail floor back time to do what's important, which is make a connection with another human being. Mel?
3: Um, Research suggests that people would rather, you know, die than speak to a sales associate that's going to point to an item on the rack that they can see themselves. Um, as stock data becomes more accurate, it won't be long before it's perfectly normal to to talk to a physical store using your device rather than a person. It'll be far quicker, far easier and more profitable to the retailer. Whereas a salesperson might recommend an item that's there in front of you. An AI system, for example, could recommend something based on many more criteria, real-time stock availability, customer data, my browsing history, my social media channels, even the weather. Um, and all of a sudden, you have a hyper personal shopping experience that, that can still allow the salesperson to add value to, but it gets you there with a much quicker mental shortcut.
2: Let's pick up on that personalization point because a lot of the buzz uh, around where the future of retail technology goes is around this idea of personalizing the experience. What do you see are the ways in which that can be used to best effect by? retailers to, to to make the in-store experience better for their customers. Pete,
0: as we mentioned earlier, people generate, you know, a lot of data footprint at the moment. They have been doing for a number of years now and it's only going to get kind of exponentially more and more and more. I think, you know, the role of uh, artificial intelligence, machine learning in the retail experience is processing that data. It will never do creative emotional things. It will only ever help you find the thing that matches or the thing that you're looking for, the thing you want to do, those kind of uh, very binary type tasks. This is a world that's going to emerge now where I think a lot of people are going to get it wrong. They're going to think that this technology is the replacement for the sales assistant and and, and so on and so forth. We're going to make a lot of mistakes. There are going to be a lot of uh, problems on the way. Um, And I think what's going to happen is we're going to see emerging out the other side, you know, the actual roles that people play in this entire experience. And at the moment we're on the frontier, we just don't know.
3: Well, no? We need to think of artificial intelligence as more of artificial assistance um, and as, as an opportunity rather than a threat to, to human beings in the retail environment.
0: It, it, just to ju- jump on that, I mean, we've even started saying to our clients, you know, they need to be intelligently artificial.
4: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
0: Like, this is about using it in a smart way and not focusing on what people on social media are talking about or what, you know, science fiction tells us and the companies that succeed in this space will be the ones that use it intelligently ironically.
2: Tim, where do you see the personalization technology going and being best used?
1: Well, just just taking what, you know, what Peter Mallow said is you've got a huge amount of data. It's feeding through to a, a device, a clienteling app. So clienteling is is probably one of those big areas where I think personalization can help. So and uh, whatever tablet, whatever device, whatever screen uh, a sales associate has, that right data allows The last bit of personalization, which is actually the human bit of personalization. That's where it facilitates that moment. So by having the right data, I as the sales associate cannot go with a scripted, can I help you today? Mm. which is the danger, because as soon as we get scripted, I get a scripted response. No, thank you, I'm just browsing. Instead, you change that. You challenge that moment and personalise it using that data that's available to you. So if it's flushed out in the right way and it's presented the right way, it allows in a nanosecond, me as a human being, to translate into a a really great experience, a really great in-store moment. And in fact, all of those technologies are there at the moment. They're all available. But the retailers are a little bit scared about breaking their script, Because how many stores can I walk in this afternoon down Oxford Street and I would get exactly that same script?
0: Pete? uh, I have some really interesting conversations at home because I'm married to a human rights lawyer, right? And um, (laughs) some of the, like, this stuff also has the ability to be really creepy, like surveillance technology, where her perspective on on some of our conversations about this kind of tech is, I don't want people to know who I am when I walk in. Mm. Like, this has got to be used intelligently so that, you know, people don't know more about you than you know yourself when you start entering an environment. Like, it's just completely unethical. And so there are going to be some really weird use cases that fail magnificently over the next kind of 18 months or so where people have crossed the line from helpful to intrusive.
2: That does raise really interesting points because I don't know if if any of you are like me, but when even at the end of the shopping experience i'm asked can we have your email address to send you the receipt i think no i just just want the paper receipt and part of that is thinking well i don't want to be on another mailing list i don't necessarily want you to have even my email address and for this personalization to work effectively it requires a leap that customers are prepared to make to give that data and to trust big organizations with that data doesn't it
1: i think i think there's a it's It's interesting that we we all feel challenged by this because let me just take a non-retail example. Let's talk about London Underground. So London Underground knows everything about our movements at the moment. It knows how long those movements took. It knows where we went, when we went, when we got off, when we got on. And that allows them to schedule their timetables. It allows you to put increased um, trains on. It allows you to decrease the number of trains. So it allows them to be super, super efficient. So don't forget, there are efficiencies that aren't just a sales associate in front of you that will make your retail experience a whole lot better. Well?
3: It's a value exchange in the end. Um and I think all of that data provides real tangible business benefits and you are willing to give your data over if you're going to get that kind of thing back. Um, mm. You know, real-time forecasting of stock for businesses, um, load-bearing of store footfall in busy periods. These mm. are all things that benefit the customer at the end of the day. Um, the opportunities to, to exploit that are vast. It's just that kind of tipping point of you've got to give me something worthwhile in order for me to, to give my information.
1: Tim? Yeah, and I think there's the, you know there's a point about you know the the depth and layers of information here. So let's say let's say there's no technology, and I'm stood in front of jeans. What what can we assume is going to happen in the next few minutes? I'm going to pick, probably look at a pair of jeans. I'm going to maybe pull a hanger with a pair of jeans on. I might even try on a pair of jeans. So that's with no tech. Okay. Now what about if technology knows that I'm there, and therefore again we affect digital signage or we affect something that happens right there? There are subtle layers of benefit where we can add to the experience without being all creepy and getting too deep into someone's personal information. And again, it can really improve experiences by doing that, even those subtle layers, I think.
2: How well placed do you think retailers are for the, the new regulations on the data they hold on on customers?
1: Um, If you look at the number of conferences that are there at the moment, um, I don't think anybody is in an ideal place where they could be 100% sure they've got things wrapped up. There are a number of conversations going on at the moment, um, a number of legal conversations. It, It feels to me like the millennium bug. The, the, the year was going to tick over to 2,000, and everybody's really, you know, up in arms and unsure. So um, I don't think anyone really knows um, what it means to them at the moment. They're all just finding their way.
2: One thing that's common to all retailers is they have limited budgets when it comes to technology. And a lot of the technology can be very enticing, but very expensive. Where do you think retailers get the best return on investment when it comes to
0: technology? Pete? So two things. I think, firstly, I think the reason we're seeing such a massive change in uh, the way that brands roll out technology is because the price of all of this stuff is coming down. So 10 years ago, the idea of automation and artificial intelligence and VR and AR and all this good stuff um, would have been astronomical on their balance sheet. There's a commoditization of this tech now that makes it affordable, Um, So I think that's why the adoption of it is just going to go forward and forward and forward as as an affordability. Um, I think what we're also going to see now is that it doesn't become a line on the spreadsheet that is the tech investment. It's just the innovation budget that, if a brand is doing it properly, should roll out across their entire channel experience. Mel?
3: I think it's um it's the focus needs to be on eliminating the pain points from the customer journey those real um, bugbears that mean that the customer doesn't enjoy that shopping experience or it's 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 a chore for them um you know eliminating the need to queue assisting decision making a lot of uh, businesses are really trying to invest in that kind of area right now and they they're making huge progress in in increasing satisfaction levels in terms of return on investment um is really quantifiable and tangible to the business straight away. I think it's difficult to to measure success. There are pitfalls, there are financial investments that need to be made, and they're going to be failures. But consumers are willing to try. They're not scared of these technologies. They know that they're going to make them better. I think it's about um, retailers really being willing to disrupt themselves before others do, because the competition isn't going to just come from within this sector. It's going to come from other players in other sectors that can really see the opportunity for them.
1: And I think to add to that, Mel, uh, to make that um, f- you know a frictionless experience for the customer is a really, really important part. And to do that, there's a number of things that have to come together with technology to give the retailer bam for bucks. First of all, is that technology siloed? If it's siloed, I'd say no way. So I think it's very important that things become become joined together. Pete? Nordström's is a really ex- uh,
0: interesting example in the U.S. of a of a of a brand of a shop that have basically planted their tech and design teams in store, so that you know they're co creating technological solutions to problems like with customers on the shop floor. And I think there's you know I think businesses that don't know what the business case is because it's all a bit ethereal and we're not quite sure what the ROI and this stuff's going to be. Like co create it in-store, and you'll start to see the value to the end consumer. I think what we're seeing now is a lot of technology that didn't exist a couple of years ago. It's really difficult to put a number on that. you just got to get on and do it. But to get on and do it, you have to make sure that you do the right thing.
2: I'll ask you each to cast an eye to the future in a moment, and, and we'll discuss what you each think will be the next big uh, innovation or disruption, if you like, for the retail uh, sector when it comes to technology. Uh, before that, though, I, I just wonder what you think in-store retailers can learn from online, which is the big challenge. Mel?
3: It's interesting because if you imagine what Amazon is doing with its bookstore, it's actually turning everything that it's doing elsewhere on its head. It's, it's bringing the digital experience to the physical bookstore. And actually, there's no technology in the store whatsoever. Um, they've just completely curated that collection, that store experience around the data driven from the store, the online reviews, the the site ratings, and that's what the store experience is. It's actually bringing back that kind of feeling of discovery and kind of serendipity that you used to get that they almost killed a little bit Mm. with the online bookstore.
0: I think what technology is really like the digital world has created over the last 10 years is a damn fine kind of psychology experiment. I think what we've discovered is just how lazy quite a lot of people are. You would rather <laughs> click a button and a taxi turn up than kind of wave your arm and have a conversation with a, with a cabbie. Um, or you would rather kind of go online, do your Christmas shopping, so that Amazon drops it off at your door. And so I think what what the kind of offline world is going to start learning is that actually people want convenience. They don't not want to go in a shop, but they don't want to, um, you know, spend ages doing something. And I think when those two worlds start to collide, which they inevitably will, you know, the click and collect mentality, a whole new genre of shop is going to start emerging. Like the Amazon's, you know, machine, vision, camera, go in, pick something up, walk out. I find that massively creepy
1: but it's a trend that's only gonna go forward it's gonna it's gonna kind of work Tim. I, I I think i differ on that one, Pete. I think I think for me, the trend is actually to move the other way and the new genre is actually about experience-based stores. So for me, it's about stores which, uh, which are the life and soul of the brand, which are uh, places where you enjoy shopping. We had a lovely experience with the kids a couple of weeks ago, actually. We took them off to Harry Potter World.
0: Now, what's really fascinating is that when you come out in the shop at the end, it doesn't feel like you've walked into a shop. It feels like the end of the experience. And it was mm. a, kind of a you know, another experience in itself. And of course we ended up spending far more money than we were planning on it. Like that's how these things work. But that was a really nice example for me of of shopping not being about, you know, things on coat hangers or shelves of stuff. It's browsing the one shop or, you know, just feeling part of the experience. It was a really lovely thing.
3: Well, it's like the Disney experience, isn't it? If you've been to Disneyland, yeah. you get the wristband and that becomes, that's your ID, it's your... Past to get into the rooms the the kind of rides your entire photo album is created on there as well it's just the entire experience is focused around your id which if that was your phone you might feel slightly you know they're understanding every single place i go and it's a little bit creepy but actually because it's or every member of the family has one it really is kind of augmenting that experience for you there's no reason a retail experience couldn't be like that and essentially disney is one big retail experience
2: I'm going to ask you all to uh, take out the crystal balls that I hope you've all brought with you because I want to cast an eye to the future. So from each of you, I just wonder what you think will be the next big technological disruptor innovation in retail, or if not specifically that, where you think it might come from. Mel?
3: I don't know what the answer is to that. Um, But I do know that um, if we think about things like QR codes and, and the things that we kind of think of as failures actually they weren't failures they were just the mark one of that kind of technology that is now absolutely integrated and implemented within all of the apps and the services we use every day and I think that's the next big thing Um, actually using this technology in the right place integrated in in the devices we use and the services we use through our daily lives.
0: So, I mean, uh, it's not going to be a a retail trend. It'll be a consumer technology trend that drives the next thing that retailers have to do. What we're actually seeing a a lot of migration towards are things like hearables. So the mobile phone, as it gets smaller and smaller and smaller, will suddenly become, at some point in the next couple of years, something that people just have in their ear. Uh, Not too dissimilar to the artificial intelligence technology that was um, shown in the movie Her. Her. Uh, which is kind of near-fi sci-fi. And so I think what we're going to see are sort of fairly unpredictable trends of consumer technology like hearables that will then start to drive new catch-ups and things that retailers have to do. What I am excited about, though, is because of the disruption over the last few years, retailers should start being ready to react to those consumer trends, I think, in a more stable way than they've
1: been able to over the last decade. Tim, uh, I think for me, it's it's some it's, a, it's a back to the platform that sits underneath the experience. It's it's being able to unify the physical and the digital activation so that we can track that a single view of the customer and and use it best to enhance the experience. And I don't, th- I think because of legacy, because of you know where retailers have come from, it's hard to take a leap forward. But the disruptors will come in, and and you can take a misguided as an example. You know, they sell sixty seven percent of their stuff through their app even though they've got physical stores now. So so I think it's going to take um, a a brave retailer to put their money on red um, and uh, and go for it, or it'll take uh, a disruptor to come through to actually show we can unify and we can pull physical and digital together to be truly omnichannel, to create a truly amazing experience for the consumer.
2: Well... There you have it, an analysis of uh, technology as we have it already in our stores, uh, but also uh, what we could expect from the future. And if those things do come to pass, remember, you heard them here first on the Retail Exchange podcast. My thanks to my guests, Mel, Pete and Tim for a very timely discussion, particularly as just a few days ago, I was in New York to see the very latest trends and innovations in retail. Hello, I'm Ben Bland and welcome to this special edition of the Retail Exchange podcast. We're bringing it to you from New York City and we're here because it's the National Retail Federation big show and a big show it certainly is. This huge retail industry trade fair brings together people from 95 different countries. There are 35,000 delegates attending and something like 18,000 retailers represented. While much of the focus within the media when it comes to retail is still on the negative, there are many voices here at the show urging the need for a reality check and championing the many causes for optimism in the year ahead. Retail futurist Howard Saunders
5: is one such voice. Retail's in a state of flux at the moment. We're worried about lots of stuff. I talk a lot about how scary the future is with, uh, you know, the on the horizon we have drone deliveries and robotics and all of this. just think about what this show is actually I mean there's thousands upon it seems like thousands of stands all selling tiny nuanced pieces of software that increase logistics and delivery lubricating every tiny aspect of retail predicting stuff that you you don't even know you want yet all of that that whole machine lubricating that whole machine to bring you stuff quicker faster cheaper and better. However, underneath this centre, if you like, the, the underbelly of retail that I like to talk about, is the stuff that you can't get, the stuff that you really want, the things that are inaccessible. So, you know, if I said to you, you know, great, they can bring you that coffee the, exactly the way you want it every morning, to the exact recipe, to the right temperature and deliver it at your, your door, perfect timing. Or, do you want to go down the road with me and stand in line a little bit for the guy who's only got these beans for this month and they're curated and he's got the story behind them? And You kind of want that one. You kind of want the stuff you can't have. I call that the science of inaccessibility. And so really this show is all about accessibility. This show is all about lubricating the process. We think retail's suffering because you can buy it all from Amazon and that within an hour it'll be in a cardboard box outside your front door and if that's the worry then retail's finished. And actually what we want when we go into a store is to connect emotionally, to feel that we're, we matter, that we're somewhere that matters and that it's communicating to us on a one-to-one level and I can find You know, customers out there are looking for information about their products. I talk about the silent stores. Think about it. Think about mainstream fashion stores. Piles of denim, shoes, T-shirts, whatever it is. There's no story. There's no... Why is this pair of jeans sitting here? There's no message with them. There's a price and there's a size, but there's nothing about why they're designed, why they exist in the first place. But... When I go into Whole Foods, there's a whole story about the grower of, of the tomatoes. So we, I think we're we're in a a state of a transition, and I think retail's starting to realise that it's got to make up their spaces more hospitable, connect emotionally with us, and maybe tell us a little bit about the stuff they're selling, which they haven't previously done very well. Obviously, some out there do it brilliantly, but just think about mainstream retail and how silent it it is standing there selling products we don't even know we want, and as a result, we don't want them there are still some
2: significant challenges that lie ahead for traditional mainstream retailers. Ira Kalish is the chief global economist at Deloitte. He provided an economic tour of retail around the world, and he also explained that retailers have to overcome the deflationary psychology that's now common among shoppers. Ira, you spoke about the difference between retailers being different and risking a race to the bottom in terms of value and commoditization. Just just explain exactly sort of where you think that that
4: line is. Well, the thing is that today's consumers are uh, afflicted with a sort of deflationary psychology. And at the same time, through the internet, they have access to huge amounts of information about the products they buy so they can shop around and look for the lowest price and treat everything as if it's a commodity. So from a retailer perspective, the only way around that is to be clearly differentiated from their competitors, to have unique brands or unique shopping experiences uh, that a consumer can't find elsewhere. And therefore, they and their products are no longer commodities. Uh, But that's a challenging thing to do, obviously.
2: You also spoke about the conditions being almost too good to be true, yet we mm-hmm. see big retailers, the big traditional, the once giants of the industry yeah. struggling. Right. What are they doing wrong and how can they put it right?
4: Well, part of what's happening is there's a bifurcation of the consumer market. So, people, consumers at the high end are shopping a lot, consumers at the low end are shopping a lot, but The consumers in the middle, they're not there anymore. They're at least not shopping in the traditional places. So the retailers that traditionally targeted that middle, especially mid-price department stores, they're dying. And consumers are going either up or down, or they're going online. Uh, So even in uh, the midst of plenty, uh, there are retail formats that just are struggling uh, because of the structural changes in the retail environment. Also at the event is Ian McGarrigal, chair of the
2: World Retail Congress. He shared his thoughts on the changing landscape for retail and what lies ahead in 2018. Ian, what, in your view, lies ahead for retail in 2018? And what is there that we can get really excited about?
6: Well, I think that the big issue and has been for a little while is just the enormous change and the transformation that retail has to undergo we 're seeing it uh, happening and it's been sort of building up um, over the last two or three years where retailers have understood that their business model has to change i mean the the rise of online, Amazon, um, Alibaba in Asia has really focused minds, and, and I think we've seen that sort of tipping point um, in the last sort of year or two where it's now um, the online players are really starting to make a difference. And we've seen it again uh, this last uh, uh, Christmas season, particularly uh, in the UK and uh, here uh, in, in the States, where the online players just sort of continue to build market share, eating into traditional retailers. So you know, if you're going to survive, you can't just do nothing, and uh, we've certainly heard it um, uh, this week from Doug McMillan at uh, Walmart, where he said every associate in the business knows that the mantra is is about change. Everything has to be looked at. So I think for me, um, in answer to your question, I think that's uh, an ongoing um, theme that we're going to see uh, the retailers that are serious about uh, surviving and uh, creating a a new offer in many cases that um, consumers are going to want to, to buy from. It's going to be about... Uh, in many cases quite a radical change to how they look and operate um, to serve the
2: customer. Knowing that change is necessary is one thing, actually rising to that challenge is another. Do you think across the board retail is rising to the challenge of transforming and meeting the needs of customers in 2018?
6: But it's a really uh, interesting question and you would like to think that yes, that they all, all would and it, uh, it does pull you up sharp. We did some research uh, and presented research at the World Retail Congress um, last year, so about nine, ten months ago now. And uh, we asked senior retailers just that, about what needs to, to change in the industry and what are they doing about it. And uh, we were, uh, well, everyone was really taken aback by the fact that, yes, universally, everyone knows what needs to be done. But I think the, the stat was 52% hadn't even started that journey, if you can call it that.
2: Um, so that is that is quite shocking. And in making those big uh, changes in the way that, that retail uh, responds to changing customer demands and needs. Um, where do you think the biggest challenge lies, especially for large organisations? And are there any examples that you've seen of of, of a big organisation actually doing it very well?
6: Well, I think um, use the phrase large organisations. I think the, the the clue is in is in that phrase. I mean, this is as, as you say, trying to sort of turn around an ocean-going liner. You can put the brakes on, and it. It takes a long while for the for the boat to to stop. When operating a big, huge organisation with thousands of uh, employees, that's that's no easy thing um, to do. So I think um, at the heart of a lot of the uh, the issues that retailers face, it's it's managing that change, it's bringing people along uh, right across the business, um, seeing and buying into the vision that hopefully it's the right vision uh, that has to uh, the business has to go. But of course that's just part of it. I mean, if you're an established retailer with hundreds, maybe even thousands of stores, that's no easy thing to assess that and make tough decisions about uh, closures, which we're seeing a lot of. I mean, that's that's a big structural change that uh, retailers um, have to grapple with.
2: In-store display stands that are physically aware and react to a shopper picking up a product, for example, are part of the offering from Perch Interactive, which is based in New York. It's part of a wave of new technology that's promising to merge the physical and digital to reimagine the retail store experience, as Perch CEO Trevor Sumner explains.
7: If you're a retailer, the brands have spent millions of dollars on content and digital content to describe their products. So I'm going to pick up the iPhone and immediately... Here comes the the iPhone video. It talks about the home button, it talks about the durable glass, the wireless charging, the facial recognition technology. It can it can go through various different aspects of the images. And when I put the product down, I'm done, right? It stops. It, just stops. it just stops. And you pick up a you know a pair of headphones. These are Beats Solo 3 headphones. Why am I gonna pay $299? It's What are you gonna say on a 3x5 card that gets me to spend $300 on headphones? The reality is, Beats, for example, has spent a ton of money on spokespeople, on promotions, on on and technology. The
2: thing that strikes me about this, though, is that you need a store with a large area footprint to have space for this. So it's not, it can't be, surely, for all retailers. You need this has to be for those who can do it on scale and they've got large store estates.
7: So these are our camera-based technologies that are that are looking down for kind of horizontal spaces. If we go over here, this is our infrared. Here's a pegboard of uh, cosmetics. And so I'm going to pick up this Maybelline uh, washable mascara, and you'll see Katy Perry's here. How much has Maybelline spent on Katy Perry's sponsorship, yet you don't see it at the store? Am I supposed to remember Katy Perry when I walk in the store? All this digital content can be in something as dense as a, as, a, uh, as a pegboard and vertical displays. This uses our infrared technology, and so we can put a frame around pretty much any type of retail display that's vertical that doesn't have those kind of square foot concerns that you mentioned.
2: Panasonic is one of the many big technology brands exhibiting at NRF 2018, but they, like IBM, Microsoft, SAP and Toshiba, are surrounded by hundreds of smaller tech firms. As the tech sector within retail matures, the question is, are we likely to see greater consolidation in the industry? James Dempsey, Panasonic's national sales manager, believes so. Do you think as the the tech sector within retail, Matures, we're going to see consolidation and fewer bigger players dominating the, 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 you know, what retailers buy and put into their stores. I think you'll probably see some of that because when you look at the uh, the device, the standards-based, when things become standard, then you see tendency the consolidation. You'll see on the front side, you'll see the disruptors,
6: right, the smaller companies coming up and disrupting a market. And then as this, in the, we talk about the data market here, matures, you probably will see consolidation happening. Um, you'll see some of the larger companies, you
4: know, like over Flexus Manhattan Associates, a JDA, buying up those, those, those up-and-comers to fill a point solution within their portfolio. So I think, I think as we move forward, you'll start to see that, and then when you look at the outside, these smart edge devices, they're fairly standard-based as well, so the systems will be able to take data from all these systems, and so
2: that, by creating standards, like I mentioned, you, it gives the opportunity for consolidation. Drawing the line between the role of technology and humans in delivering the retail experience appears to be an issue that major technology companies exhibiting at NRF 2018 are acutely aware of, as Robin Lyon, the global marketing leader for channel alliances at Toshiba, explains. Where do you think the line is between adopting technology in-store and the role that humans still have to play in what is essentially a human-to-human experience. You
0: know, that's a really great question. What the retailers we talk to are are telling us is, you know, when they deploy technology in the store, what they're really trying to do is find ways to release that labour to go and do things which actually help them improve their experience and their customer service for their customers. So when you go and employ, when you go and deploy self-checkout, you know, initially a lot of people were concerned that this was going to be taking away employment from, from the retail store environment. But really what it's done is it's create a lot of efficiency in the retail store to release people to go and work on more customer
2: service oriented oriented actions. Carl McKeever, the Founder and Managing Director of Visual Thinking, is one of those attending NRF for the first time. While impressed by the scale of the event, the quality of conference speakers, and the innovation that's on display, he believes that one key thing missing is a greater degree of balance with other areas of retail. What ideas have you seen or heard discussed that have, have impressed you most so far?
8: Um, whether it's impressed me, I'm not sure, uh, but uh, certainly the emphasis seems to be on technology and how technology in all its forms is revolutionising both the front-end customer experience and also how back-end retail is uh, going to become more, more efficient in the future. So I think that uh, with all of those technological advances, clearly there are questions to be asked around the lifespan of some of these platforms uh, and how they integrate with other systems, um, but it certainly seems as if the big push here is all around technology and its further integration within the retail world. I think key to all of that, though, is going to still being able to firmly retain the human touch um, in the customer experience. So whilst there can be a lot which is done to, as I say, make efficiencies and look for ways to um, make the process smoother, the data more integrated, and ultimately to deliver more profitable solutions, we should never forget that retail is essentially still a human transaction and that the social part of the experience is just as important to keep perfecting and getting right.
2: Well, as people head away from the NRF Big Show 2018, they'll be hoping that some of these ideas may help to drive more shoppers into their stores, whether here in New York or, indeed, anywhere around the world. That's all from me, Ben Bland, at the NRF Big Show in New York. Thanks to you for listening to this special episode of the Retail Exchange Podcast. Join me back in the UK for the next one.
0: You've been listening to the Retail Exchange Podcast. Subscribe online at theretailexchange.co.uk and join the debate on Twitter. Hashtag This episode is brought to you by retail transformation agency Visual Thinking in association with Retail Focus
4: magazine. Thanks for listening.